Hello and thank you for listening to Radio Radar Plus. This is episode 28 for Friday, November 20th. I'm your host, Ludwig Kitzman, U.S. Editor-in-Chief of Games Radar Plus. I'm joined today by Maxwell McGee. Well, hello, Ludwig. Hi. Managing Editor Susan Art. Well, hello. And that Anthony guy. What would wake David? Burbert. Uh, do you guys what? know that there are typically 28 dominoes in a set? Uh, no. This is yeah. new information. I mean, I, mean, I thought, I thought we no? would open strong with like a really good factoid. You know, this may even be bigger than a factoid. It may be a full fact. So does that mean if you have like more than that, you have an illegal domino set? You like actually it? get arrested by the domino. <laughs> oh, the domino police. <laughs> an elderly Cuban man comes up to your table, handcuffs you. I'm going to go. I was going to go Puts with the a noise cigarette comes out on to your, your house and refuses to leave. Um, and then, then they force you to eat Domino's as right. well in Domino's jail. Well, I assume it was a man from Domino's Pizza <laughs> right. coming to arrest you. He wears a Domino's <laughs> uniform to, to let you lower your guard. Have you ever yeah. played Domino's, like for real? Yes. Yeah? I have not. I think actually. it's fun. But they're more fun to arrange. I've played Domino you guys Rally. Monster of None. The monster of what now? The monster of none. It's a sh- it's a show on Netflix. There was a really good domino scene. Oh, okay. okay, he's yeah. saying master. It sounds like he's saying monster, the, but no. The master yeah. of none. I heard the monster. Have you all watched that show? <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I really did want to start with something serious, and that okay. is this week Sega and Nintendo are in a Twitter war over who is the better mustache, Mario or Doctor Eggman. Mm. First of all. Now, <laughs> We we collectively refuse to call him Eggman, right? He's Robotnik. Yeah. Okay, Doctor right. Robotnik. Thank you. Ivor Robotnik. Okay, good. I would never, like I would never refer to Doctor Eggman's mean bean machine. That just sounds wrong. That's right. Thank. Oh, ooh. ooh. Also, okay, wait, hang on. Is yeah. it Eggman or is it Doctor Eggman? It's like if you say Doctor, he Eggman, is Doctor Eggman. He's okay. still yeah. a doctor in both continuities. <laughs> It's actually Dr. Eggman's monster. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Why do you like that, Susan? As far as as far as mustache prowess, I, I like I, I think it's I let's be clear. The greatest mustache in all the video games is Mike Hagar's in Final Fight. That mustache. Well, yeah. But they, I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't have to bring that up in this discussion. Like that's just an accepted universal truth. Like if this was a debate <laughs> between his mustache and then Sonic and Robotnik, like there'd be no debate. So the the reason I bring that up is I feel like that is that that's the standard of mustache victory. So like it's it's grooming, it's fullness, it's appropriateness mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. face. And I feel, I feel like like Doctor Robotnik's uh, mustache is a little unwieldy. It's a little out of control, and I, I don't think it's quite the the groomed power piece that is Mario's mustache. That's just. But how that's, is the twirlability? Is the thing? See, it's got high twirlability, and that's what you're looking for in a villain. Robotnik's mustache is also his defining facial characteristic. It's where all of his personality comes through. Mario's defined by the M on his hat and the <laughs> color of his overalls. His mustache fades into the background. Robotnik, he, his mustache is proud, and it's the centerpiece of his face. Uh, Max, I gotta say, I think the centerpiece on both faces is their disturbingly phallic noses. Uh, like, both, for, for both Robotnik and Mario, the, the eye is naturally drawn to their, their disturbingly conical 
fleshy, bulbous noses. And I would say that Mario's mustache complements the disturbing anatomy of his nose, whereas whereas Robotnik's mustache just just draws more attention to something you don't want to be looking at. Maybe I'm paying attention to the wrong things. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not sure. To me, Mario's mustache—it's much, much too traditional, much too safe. Robotnik, mm. his is his is unique. <laughs> This is how we amuse ourselves. Uh, Perhaps we are of two minds. Of um, and I like a lot of other game publishers got into this debate, if you want to call it that, with, with their own uh, moustaches. I saw the villain of Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Crawford Stack. He was thrown in there by Ubisoft. Um, I think a bunch of Capcom games came up, including... Uh, they have the, some good moustaches. Yeah, they do. They really, they really do. Um, the other big thing that's happening this week is that Star Wars, Star Wars Battle, Star Wars, Star Wales, mm-hmm. Star Wars, just the tail. Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Battlefront is out, and uh, I'm seeing some really interesting reviews on it. More interesting than you might expect. Mm. Um, first of all, there's a there's a sort of debate happening on whether or not the the game really needed a campaign, whether it's fine that it doesn't have one. Mm -hmm. But the more interesting one, I think, is is people trying to figure out whether or not the game being sort of shallow in some ways or simple and accessible and relatively straightforward in some ways is a good thing. Yeah. Or a bad thing. Well, I mean, it depends entirely on your perspective, right? Yeah. Like... If you are a someone who games on a regular basis and you have a, a high skill level and you're stoked about this because you love Star Wars, then it's a bad thing because the game isn't really going to be hard enough for you, especially mm-hmm. not long yeah, term. Like you're, you're thinking of in like the same house as Call of Duty and Halo. Like right. all of these games right. are vying for your attention by being relatively complex and like there's a lot to discover the more you play them. You unlock different weapons, different tactics, you learn the different maps. I don't feel like that is happening in Battlefront, but at the same time, it kind of makes it way more pleasant to me in some ways. But I wouldn't stick with it as long. Well, yeah. that's exactly yeah. that's the thing. It, it is designed to be a more casual experience because it wants to appeal not just to people who game regularly, but people who are hyped about Star Wars, which is a lot of people. It's a lot, mm. a lot of people. The amount of money they can make appealing to that audience versus making a harder game to appeal to the gaming audience is just stupid. I mean, it's just yeah. massive. And Susan, I also was thinking about, and I, like, I'm not sure if you've observed this in the critical response to Star Wars Battlefront, but it's I, I've seen it in a couple of places, and it's really occurred to me as I've been playing it, is that commercial that, that aired in October for Star Wars Battlefront, where it's like the guys mm-hmm. in their 30s wistfully remembering, uh, you know, playing Star Wars as kids and then like jumping out a window into an X-Wing. That is not just, that's not just Star Wars nostalgia. That is, this game is selling a type of video game nostalgia. Like this is a shooter in the vein of Quake 2, of Doom multiplayer, of the original Unreal Tournament. A very, very twitchy, pick it up, you know what you're doing in five seconds kind of shooter. And the real joy of it is not, you know, working with a team in these super precise strategic ways or building up your character. It's, oh man, I jumped into a TIE fighter and then I flew into another TIE fighter and now I'm playing again. And it's just immediate. Boom, boom, boom. And now I got to go because I got to make dinner. 
Right. And now I got to go because I got to make dinner. And like, it's really well, this funny. Is, this is the thing. Like for, for, okay. So for those of us who grew up watching the original trilogy are old, we are yeah. old. We have, <laughs> we're married. We have families. We don't like most of us don't have a whole lot of time to play video games. Like you don't mm-hmm. get to spend your four hours a night playing video games for out there in the normal world when you're in your late 30s and 40s. So the idea that there's this shooter that will make you feel like you were hanging out like when you were a kid and it's this property that you know and you can hop in and you can play it for two hours and then leave it for two weeks and not have lost anything is is huge. But it's definitely not going to be super appealing to people who do get to play more regularly and do really enjoy honing their skills until they are very, very good. Yeah. Do you, do you guys foresee some marketing team somewhere using a new term to describe this type of game? Because this feels like this is like a new type of casual game to me. Like this, this feels like this low investment type of game that is targeted to people who are older than the average like hardcore gamer like i do you see ea being like and now with titles like star wars battlefront we are now targeting the aged core gamer the The neo casual the the neo casual gamer the (laughs) the oldster gamer like I, I, i i yeah right Right? The, when you put vintage, it like that, I would say no, gamer. not at all. <laughs> you would not gamer. want to. You would not want to alienate your audience like that. Nobody no. would want to. Nobody would want to, even if it was the reality, want to associate with being a aged gamer. Right. Or, right. Or, I, gamer, well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like even well, even like casual and hardcore. Like in my head, like I was always confused when people started like picking those up as banners. Like, you would go to NeoGAF in 2008, and people would be like, no, cores versus casuals. Be like, no, they're both derogatory. Why are you? These are marketing terms, guys. They're not good. You don't want to identify with one of them. Uh, So I think the the two most interesting things about it are it is is a sort of, I don't want to use the word casual, but it is a more pick-up-and-play, easy game in a genre that is very much not that. True. It's very much like the, the, the level, like when you talk about emotion, like I think people play these multiplayer shooters because they want to invest themselves really deeply, concentrate, sort of hone those reflexes. You want to throw yourself in there and get the rewards for getting really good at it. In this mm-hmm. game, I think it's more about just feeling like you are in a Star Wars movie. And the other thing that I really like about it is that it it is more, like if there was a lot more strategy and tactics and planning I don't think that would be representative of the battles in the Star Wars movies mm. as I see them. Like, cause oh, they're usually, that's absolutely a really good they're, point. They're usually kind of like a, uh, a texture to the story more so than a, a deep strategic naval battle like right. you would see in other in other films of a similar nature. Yeah, it's, well, um, it, it's not Battlestar Galactica, you know? Right, right. It's, it's more about just like lasers flying, ships flying around, yeah, yeah. dogfighting, wildness. And, and, and that feeling is really accurately portrayed in the game, and I think that's a huge success for them. And uh, as we spoke earlier, like they, they really do need to sell a huge amount of this game because the return on licenses is not that great unless you own the license. Right. So like if you're Warner Brothers and you own Batman, 
that's you know that's really good for you. You get a lot of money from those games. But if you're EA, you're paying uh, money to Disney for every copy that you sell. Right. So as a as a profit driving thing, uh, you couldn't make a super tactical hardcore Star Wars game. You just wouldn't make as much money. So like that's the practical answer to that. Yeah, yeah. That's... I mean, we're talking a lot about about Battlefront like trading on creating these Star Wars experiences and trading on nostalgia and things like that and maybe being a more uh, approachable yet simplistic multiplayer shooter. So I would wonder, like, why even make it a multiplayer-centric shooter at all? A single-player game would give designers and developers much more control to create Hmm. those authentic Star Wars experiences and to craft set pieces exactly the way they should be. Not as much fun. That's a good point. It's, it's yeah. not, but it's not as much fun. I mean, the joy of st- okay. So back, back what if it was a co-op day, game? Uh, a co-op maybe, but then you need somebody to play with, right? Mm. If you like, if you can think back to a time like before the internet, and you could play with randos. A big part of the enjoyment of Star Wars was talking <laughs> about it on the playground with your friends. Because mm-hmm. you couldn't read about it online, you couldn't do like there all of the stuff you would normally associate with being a fan of something didn't exist, right? So yeah. Star Wars doesn't feel like an isolated thing. It's like not a person, like just something you do, you know, in and of yourself. It's a thing that that absolutely has to be shared. It's a it's a very communal thing for people of a certain age, and so I, okay. I don't think that it would have been nearly as appealing as a single player game yeah and i i think i mean a ea is gonna have their cake and eat it too in that regard because amy hennig and uh the dead space studio are off making and jade raymond are of the, the that is the production and director and studio crew making the story-based star wars game for ea that we know exists and it's just not out yet so that is out there. They are making that single-player story-centric game, uh, and you know, going off of what you're what you're saying, Susan, like the the communal aspect of Star Wars cannot be underplayed. And yeah. I, I feel like you know, I, I almost think that Battlefront would be even more successful if it was even simpler than it is. It, like in the form that it is right now. Like if it was like forty dollars and there was no leveling, no no character progression whatsoever, it was just pick it up and now twenty of your friends are shooting twenty other people and just go do that. Because it taps into that sort of uh that, that immediate communal play of thing like it feels like Goldeneye. Like it feels it feels like even it feels like Street Fighter. It feels like something that you can casually approach and just immediately start doing with somebody you know. And that can you is casually always approach going Street Fighter? Well you, <laughs> you could used to be able to. You could, but yeah, like Street Fighter oh, Two. Okay. Like okay, okay. you know, it, it that that sort of that ground level appeal gussied up with just some of the most recognizable iconography of the past 50 years, you know, like that's, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's very telling that there is not with the exception of that delightful seismic charge noise, uh, which Django Fett's, uh. you, uh, yeah, Django Fett's ship used in episode two. 
there is nothing in Battlefront from the prequels. There is nothing. Well, of course at all. not, because the prequels uh, are terrible, as we've discussed. I have a question right. now. Now, I have not played Battlefront, but what I have seen of it has been, uh, in addition to the gameplay, the hero characters. Your Leia, your Han, your oh, Darth boy. Vader, your, your Luke. Mm-hmm. And they're so not right. It really bothers me because everything else feels like you got dropped into a Star Wars movie. I mean, it really does. The right. sounds are perfect. The sights are perfect. And then you've got the Emperor. What? Running. running He's the biggest victim running. of the uh, of his own, I guess you would say, gamification. He's so goofy. I it's see. So I exclusively <laughs> want to play as the Emperor. He's so <laughs> hilarious. He doesn't move his arms when he runs. He just waddles like a little baby. <laughs> and he has that weird, like, forward missile attack yep. where he spins around. Yeah, like, he only has two modes of transport. He's either waddling <laughs> like a baby or he's spinning through the air like a lunatic. <laughs> like he was fired as a missile out yeah. of cannon. Um, it doesn't really make any sense, and 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 I love I love the repeated <laughs> sound bites, like just when he constantly says the same stuff over mm, and over, mm. um, because he said those things in the movies, right? Those are things that are in the movie. But the thing is, the the stand in the the actors, the impersonators that they got, they're not good. They're oh, they're all so sucks. bad. Darth Vader they're, sucks okay. a whole bunch. In, Princess in, Leia is also pretty terrible. In in pseudo Vader's defense, nobody is James <clears throat> Earl Jones except James Earl Jones. I mean, right. you can't even come That's close. True. You can't. The Han Solo is pretty good, except then he runs like he is desperately trying to get to the closest toilet. His his run is so little tiny steps. It's just the worst. And Leia, oh, it's Leia is so bad. <laughs> My favorite thing is that when you play the tutorial, and like, so I, uh, we, I started playing the game early, and there was no one on the PS4 version, so I had to, I just had to play the single player stuff, which is completely insubstantial and forgettable. Oh, it's but, so, and it's so uh, bad. The oh. tutorial mission it has you going into Hoth, and you have to shoot a probe droid. Um, and it's Leia on the communicator with you. And she's just like so encouraging nonstop. She's like, oh, good job. You did a great job. Thank you for taking out that probe droid. Yes, that's that's fantastic. You're great. You're doing well, and it's. I find it hilarious to think that she would be on the communicator, busying herself with some <laughs> faceless soldier who hasn't really accomplished all that much. He learned how to walk and aim and shoot a droid, and she is just like nonstop praising him, like she's the nicest micromanager in the galaxy. <laughs> Yeah. I know. I had a I had a similar thing where I was going through. I was playing just against the computer, and I was uh, Admiral Akbar was on the comm piece. Like, <laughs> me. he's like, you got to go to this. You got to get to the resource pod and get the resources. And it's, okay, dude. Like, I like I get it. It's okay. You need to go like run the fleet and like make some plans. You've got like way more important things you need to be doing like, than, d- than taking care admiral, of little old me, dude. Like, yeah, you're geez. an admiral, dude. Like, you can just delegate it. Like, get a secretary or somebody to tell me to go. To the resource pod, it's fine. I won't hold also, it against you. really you. want to take direction from Admiral Akbar? It's like, go get the resource pod. It's in that, what is that steel structure? A cage? A cage, Admiral Akbar? That's what it is. It's, it's a I'm cage. Sure it's, it's being propped up by a tiny stick, and there's a piece of like pie on a plate underneath it. He's like, it's in there. Just, just run over there and get I'm it. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's not a truck. My Admiral Akbar and Richard Nixon are basically the same character. <laughs> uh, guys, first of all, you know that Admiral Akbar is doing this because he can't stand being around General Maydeen 
and Mon Mothma <laughs> because they're just so dour and serious all the time. They're Mon like, Mothma, she does seem like a fun vacuum. Oh, God. She goes. Yeah, like, can you imagine, like, you're on that Mon Calamari capital ship and Mon Mothma's like, we really need to check in on our Bothan spies. And then Akbar's like, I gotta go check something else. I gotta, there's one soldier on Endor who needs guidance for 40 minutes straight. I'm gonna go help him. I'm pretty excited that Admiral Akbar is going to be in Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, because Thrill. he's going to be older, so yeah. that's going to be fun. But I really just want everyone just to be in the room with him and giving him shit yeah. for <laughs> that, that rebel attack in Return of the Jedi. Like, better not be a trap again, hey, Admiral. Hey, hey Akbar. That was 30 uh, years okay, ago. Should he not have been demoted, by the way, for that? Ooh. He should be like a Ensign, lieutenant commander at best. <laughs> they did. I, well, they did. They did just decimate like half of the Imperial fleet in one go. So yeah, it, it all worked out. It all worked. Midget bears were there. They had midget bears to save the day. It all. It all. That was a disastrous operation from the ground up, but it, it worked out for everybody. I yeah. mean, you know, the the, the victors <laughs> write the history, admittedly, but still, I feel yes. like yeah. he had been given a desk job somewhere, just kind of, you know, he's put in well, office they just, supplies. It seems they would have just encouraged him to retire at that yeah, point. Or just, like, exactly. double-check everything yeah. he does. They're just like, good job, Admiral, you know, you've done, you done a lot of good work for the, for the, for well, the rebellion. Why don't you, spies, though, why don't you like go ahead and just, uh, now? hang it up. <laughs> Uh, Max, so uh, like, so I take it you were playing the survival mode, which is just horde mode with a different. Yeah, I was playing the horde mode, and Akbar's like, "There's some, there's some more stormtroopers, and they're coming to get you." Yeah, 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 I know, dude. Stormtroopers, there's five more of them, and they're gonna deploy soon. So, and now this this mode can do is picture Akbar teaching his kids to drive, (laughs) right? Because he's like, yeah, he's like two and ten. You don't want to slam down on the brakes. You just want to gently, <laughs> gently push. Uh, the, the baffling thing about the survivor mode is it says, like, right in the menu, like, play solo or with a second player. And it, there's even split screen. Like, you can play it two people. Mm-hmm. But they didn't even change the balancing if you're playing it by yourself or with somebody else. That's right. It's still, like, it's 15 waves, and it takes, like, 35 minutes to get through Mm -hmm. all this, and the enemies won't, like, the AI won't always chase you. You can basically just be on one side of the map, and there'll be an ATST just blindly snuffling around like a pig looking for truffles on the other side of the map, (laughs) and it'll just leave you alone. You can take your time finding the weapons you need to bring it down. It's just... So badly considered, like, why wouldn't you make if you're playing it by yourself? Why wouldn't you make it a little bit more snappy? Oh, the waves will like come quicker and there'll be fewer enemies than if you're playing with a co-op partner. It Like just the smallest little balancing tweak. And yet, no, <laughs> like they're like, nah, nobody's going to play this by themselves. Who would ever want that? So one of the other things that happened this week is uh, Deus Ex Mankind Divided was delayed until August, which uh, 
is good news for Far Cry Primal, which is going to come out on the same day, which is February 23rd. And they had the same, they both had the same leading voice actor, which is amusing. Uh, but now that coincidence is over. Um, and that would be were, uh, Alexis Defexis? Alexis Defexis. Alexis Defexis? <laughs> um, and, I mean, they, they said it was being polished. His, 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 his name's Elias. <laughs> yeah. well, we know, but Alexis Defexis okay. sounds Alexis, cooler. Alexis Defexis? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he should name his daughter then. Oh. No, oh, Ale- Alexis Defexis Alexis Defexis is like the Linkle of Elias Defexis. That's the other thing we should talk about is Linkle. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so so they said it was for polish, and and that's the the official line. However, I think we're we're reevaluating what we think about polish right now with the release of Fallout Four, which is by far, uh, I think I can probably say it's by far the biggest game this year. That seems fair, right? Like it's it's huge. Uh, comp- it's, it's enormous. Tied with The Witcher. Tied with The Witcher. And it's it's buggy, and people don't yeah. seem to be super upset by it because that just goes to the territory, and because. Um, you know, we, we need to talk about what level of buggery <laughs> we accept. What is on this buggery? Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I don't want to accept it. I, I can't believe my kids have to listen to this kind of language while I'm teaching them to drive. <laughs> Unreasonable. Uh, so what is acceptable? Because clearly all everything that you get out of Fallout 4, everything that is possible in it and their entire approach philosophy which is usually just like if the system says you can do that sure we'll let you do that even if it looks bad even if it doesn't look cinematic Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't look polished we're gonna let you do that do people like that more than a game that is super polished and bug free that's my question well here's my thing my my tolerance for bugs in a game depends a great deal on the scope of the game the size and scope of the game don't touch my save file well, no, God, <laughs> Jesus, no. If you, is, oh, if there's a mm, any bug that impacts a save file is unforgivable. I once loaded up is. Dragon Age Inquisition and it said my save file was corrupted after like <gasps> you know eighty hours or whatever. Oh man, um, oh. it wasn't. But I, for that moment, I was ready to destroy. That happened to me too when I was, I was ready, working on the review. Yeah, because there was oh like a bug. Like, I had to like go in and out of something to make the save file appear properly. Right. But that moment when it's gone, you're like. I'm done. I wish I would. I'm done with this game. I'm done with this franchise. I'm done with anything that this person will ever make in the future. We're through. I will personally destroy you. It is a crime most heinous. (laughs) The reason I never finished the first Dragon Age is because a bug Mm. crashed the game at the last fight. Nice. In, in the Ooh. game, every single time, like I would nice. get the, if you haven't played the first Dragon Age all the way to the end, there's a huge battle right at the end of it. I mean, it's just massive, and I would get to the same point in the fight, and the game would just go out. I'm like, okay, that's it, we're done, we're done here. I'm your never story finishing your is game. over. F you, you suck. But like for a game like Fallout, which ha- and I was trying to explain this to to folks on Twitter, it's a game where it is keeping track of. What you look like, what you're wearing, all the different options that for all the weapons that you have, that your companion has on them, all the objects in the world, where you've moved those objects, where things are in the state of growing now, because you have plants that you can grow to feed your, your settlements, your supply lines. Like It's keeping track of all these things. And with that many permutations, you literally cannot possibly 100% debug that game. Mm. You can't. Because there's just so much going on. 
So as long as the bugs don't break the game, like they don't hurt your save file, they don't <laughs> kill your progress, uh, broken quests are really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. As, but I, So as long as it doesn't get to that level, like, you know what, backwards flying dragons, I'll deal <laughs> with it. I don't care. It's funny. Yeah, it seems like like that's like that's the golden rule. Like if you if you can't progress a mission, then that is a broken game. That's not a buggy game. That's a your game yeah. doesn't work and I can't play it. And I think I think that's that's the real difference. Like last year, you know, the 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 big poster child for bugs was Assassin's Creed Unity. And Assassin's Creed Unity was the game that came in. And it was like, and now you can do co-op assassinations. It's four-player Assassin's Creed Unity. Good luck trying to do that because none of those co-op missions will ever work. Like that's Ooh. yeah, that's that's a broken game. Like the bugs are impacting everything. If it was just all of a sudden you could but- see Robespierre's skeleton eyes poking through his wig, like that's that's just fun. But, you know, I, like, I, here's I think my thing, yeah. like, I'll take a broken quest in something the size of The Witcher or Fallout 4 over the broken quest in Fable 2, because Fable 2 is a, is comparatively a very small game. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's more linear for sure. It, it's exactly. less complex. You know, your character, yes, there's a little bit of variety to what you, what your character can be, but not a huge amount. You can't customize what it looks like, you know? So for there to be a, that, that one quest that you couldn't get rid of, you couldn't complete it, and it was there in your quest log forever, that to me is far more unacceptable than a similar situation in a much larger game. Yeah, yeah. There was a really good uh, article on Wired written by uh, Zach McLennan, who used to work on AAA games. I think he's he worked on some of the Bioshocks, I think, or or some yeah, 2K stuff. It? But um, and what he was saying was that for, if if you wanted a version of Fallout Four that gave you all of the options and possibilities that you have in the game now. But it was super polished, and nothing ever weird happened. And like, and you have to assume that this is from the position where someone looking at the game and they see something weird happen, they they don't like it. They think, oh, this makes our game look bad. It plays right, bad. Right. We need to, you know, we need to look like a movie. Everything needs to look flawless and amazing. And 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 this is kind of the the approach that is shared by most large AAA studios because they they want everything to look slick and everything works perfectly and it's bug tested and it's beautiful and polished. And if you wanted that stuff. The studio making Fallout 4 would have to completely change. They're relatively small compared to other. They, they're not. They're not in the thousands like Assassin's Creed development, right? No, they're they, they it's, it's to, like about a hundred people in the studio. Yeah, so they have to change their methodology. They have to change the personality of the game in order to keep everything they want and make it super polished. Because when you do want that level of polish, you have to just throw a huge amount of people and hours at it. And to some extent, you even have to change the way that you go about handling weird things that might happen in your game. Like, oh, we shouldn't even let you do this strange permutation of things that should be allowed by the rules in our game, but we should really just not let that that happen and try to fix it. So once you start removing that stuff and once you have even more and more people looking at the game and it becomes a greater organizational challenge and less of a uh, production by a bunch of creative people, then the game is different, and then you maybe you don't right. like the game anymore, and maybe you've ruined Fallout by attempting to polish it to the level because you've that. taken the soul out of it, really. Exactly, mm-hmm. and you can totally see this happening in games like Assassin's Creed, uh, especially with mm-hmm. with uh, the the most recent ones, because 
they cannot afford to uh, spend the time making really creative objectives because every time they do, something breaks and they have a right. level of quality that they're trying to hit that makes that really difficult for them. Therefore, you have this huge world that, which looks fantastic. Like, And by the way, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, the London in that game is fantastic. It's brilliant. But everything in there that you do are these sort of like repeatable boxes that they drop mm-hmm. all over the place because the box is something safe. It works. It is relatively polished. And you can't make it weird because then you can introduce bugs and now you've lost your polish again. So... When you decide to do one or the other, it really has a huge impact on the game. And I, for one, I think it's it's better to have buggy, wild sort of games with crazy ideas that don't necessarily work out versus the slick, polished, perfectly produced thing that is really just components that have been tested and worked in. That's that's not that's kind of boring. Well, I mean, which is, which isn't to well, say. I mean, I- I, I was just gonna say that, like, that's not to poo-poo the brilliantly polished game. Like, I love no, games not. that have been. Right like basically polished to a fine sheen like rise Mm -hmm. of the tomb raider is a game that feels that's exactly what i was just gonna say yeah utterly perfect like there is never a moment where i have any question about what i can do in this world and at the exact same time it never feels inorganic it never feels so manufactured games are are, do that pretty well too like they just feel yeah to, no? I, I think I think the problem with the Batman games is they fall into the same trap that Assassin's Creed does, where they have these these brilliant, unique moments, but they're they're peppered throughout just these repeatable little boxes, as you put it, throughout that mm-hmm. entire game. And it's just like, here's this one safe thing that we tested over and over and over again, and we just do that over and over and over again, and that's the game. That that that's not very interesting to me. But like I look at something like Rise of the Tomb Raider and say Super Mario 3D World are wildly different games, but they come mm. from the same mm-hmm. sort of presentational place of utter polish, of utter consideration about right. the way that people are going to play it. And I, I like I personally prefer that type of game as opposed to something that feels, you know, shoddy. Like I forget Fallout 4, but like look at Fallout New Vegas, a game that people love, but that is downright unplayable in certain ways because of the bugginess in that game. But people love yeah. it anyway, like, because it's very idiosyncratic. And there's, but, I mean, I think, I think what, what we're circling is just the point that if you want a huge world that is, is sort of very driven by player agency and simulation, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be as polished as you want. And if it is, you're losing something significant. Well, this is, this is my question. I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of a game <clears throat> that gives you that kind of agency and yet is also super polished. Hmm. See? Like, a moment of silence as we try to think of one. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Like it's, what about? It's, mm, uh, uh, I, mean it's, I mean, is The Witcher... The Witcher isn't... The Witcher is like an RPG. Buggy. It's not really the same yeah. kind the of... Wi- the Witcher's buggy. The Witcher's buggy and... The Witcher. The Witcher's massive. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's but it does not have nearly the flexibility of like a Fallout. And there you see like what makes a Bethesda game a Bethesda game. It's like you just right. you get some bugs, but look at everything. You get like an unparalleled level of interaction. 
Right, exactly. And that's, and that, th- this is the thing, like as consumers, it is, you need to have a certain amount of reasonable uh, leeway that you are willing to give a game on it based on its size and scope. It absolutely should work. For sure. It should work. It shouldn't break. It shouldn't hurt your save file. Like, yes. But if you want these things, then you have to be willing to, to give up perfection. What about something like just- GTA 5? No, oh, yeah. G- GTA 5 like, is funny, a funny example because it's as big as, you know, it's bigger in a lot of ways than something like The Witcher. Like there's there's more space out there and more minutia that you can just sort of stumble upon accidentally, and it it all pretty much works flawlessly. But like it's also soulless. Like you can't change that world at all. And I, I think well, it's like, also like I, shooting I, and driving, and that's like those are the main verbs in that game. Whereas right. Fallout has building, crafting. You know, that's true. Well, I, yeah, shooting, yeah, as well. shooting, driving, like making, creating. I think I think Grand Theft Auto's main activity is creating chain reactions of activity. Like, you know, it, it's... But, it's do, but do the chain reactions of activity have a lasting impact on the world? They don't at all is the thing. Like, they, they, See, in and, Fallout, and you can change the, the world constantly, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, Susan, yeah, and, to, and, to your point, I think... Uh, mm-hmm. I think sort of developing that level of acceptance in the uh, in the user is something that will get better over time because with each with each fallout that comes out and has these sorts of little bugs and glitches to them I think it it's all it's all part of conditioning the user <laughs> to expect certain things plus like video games are just funny that way when they when they when weird things happen I just posted like a clip from Assassin's Creed Syndicate yesterday where I just bumped into someone's carriage and they started chasing me and they were literally knocking trees over and trees were flying <laughs> into the air and it's it's like a wild thing you would only ever see in a video game and that doesn't make me think oh this is a bad video game it makes mm-hmm. me think yeah, it's oh just it's really funny, funny. Like and thank goodness yeah. for reminding me that you are indeed a, a video game and your possibilities are for your possibilities for comedy are unending yeah, yeah, glitches like that can be really fun insofar as they can provide a glimpse, like, behind the curtain of the game. <laughs> like, this is kind of, you can kind of see how the game's put together and how, like, the internal logic of it works when you see something break <laughs> like that. Yeah. Falling the through the environment trees are getting usually stuck, the unbreakable though. things. Yeah, falling trees are, are different from getting stuck. Getting stuck yeah, doesn't, it doesn't enhance your appreciation at all. It's <laughs> just, not funny. It's just annoying. That that's that's the sucky one. Um, so well, let's let's keep talking about uh, the, the the barb that I'm pulling out of this discussion is 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 Tomb Raider, and I wanted to mention that the movie that is going to be based on the rebooted Tomb Raider uh, finally has a director. Uh, he's from he, well, he's a Norwegian director, so this will explain why his name mm. is Roar Utok. That's, wow. Okay. What really else has good. he done? Uh, he did a movie called uh, The Wave, which okay. I think is is I don't think it's been released in theaters yet. But it, but every time I read a news article about this guy, it's like his movie is getting really good reviews at you okay. know the film festival or whatever. Um, but I guess the the more important question is who should play Lara Croft. I still well, Angelina Jolie again. Just get her, get her back for this one. All right, can we, can we, can we, can we start at the place that the Tomb Raider movies were not the worst things in the world? Uh, The second one is the worst thing in the world, but the first one I like the first one. It's not the worst thing. There's so many, (laughs) so many worse movies 
the cradle of, <laughs> cradle of life. Like they're they're it's they're, the worst thing in the, in the moment. They're they're inoffensive. Like they could have been outwardly no, 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 offensive. No, wait, no, 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 no. The second one is actively offensive. Is it it is right? It's been it's, it's been like bad. thirteen years since I've seen it. So. It's, it's dude. It's not good. The first one is just it's not fine. Good. Yeah, like the corn the corn video. Like, that Angelina Jolie is in as Lara Croft to tie into those movies is the most offensive part of those movies, I think. Corn is the most offensive. Yes. Yes. But the pro- okay. The problem with the two, the first Tomb Raider movie mostly is that it just, well, a having John Voight as her dad, it was, it was stunt casting and it's annoying. And then there's all this traveling through time BS. And it's just like, she, they just oh, they over Hollywooded the script. Yeah. On the on like I, I counter with the fact that it had a scene where she was jumping and running across gigantic, pointlessly huge constellation <laughs> like yep. replicas in a in a gigantic machine in a pyramid, which is yep. absolutely the thing that is Tomb Raider for me. <laughs> that that well that is very Tomb Raider. Although although counter that with one of the things I really like about Rise of the Tomb Raider is that the tombs are big, huge, massive, sp- multi-layered puzzles, right? Yeah. But yep. they're not. But they're not the kind of the problem I always had with the tombs in 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 previous Tomb Raiders. Who the hell sets things up with like trigger switches and pulleys? <laughs> and nobody does that. Inflammable materials. Right? Like nobody does that. But and the, Tomb Raider twenty thirteen. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, the the tombs of Rise of the Tomb Raider feel like places, yeah. not puzzles. Well, they're very organically integrated into the game because you often have like uh, you go through a cave and then you'll come out the other side of a mountain and there will be like a long lead up to even getting to the tomb. There yes. might even be a campfire on the way. In fact, there usually is. That's how big there these areas usually are. Is, yeah, uh, and you might have to do some climbing, some swinging, and then s- finally you end up at the steps of the tomb and then you start solving the puzzle. And it yeah. feels completely connected to the area that you were in, even though it's sort of cordoned off in some ways because it's meant to be a little secret that you find on the side. Um, right. But, I mean, yeah, let's talk about Rise of the Tomb Raider. I think it's it's one of the best games of the year. I think it's awesome. I love everything about it. Yeah, Susan. That's my professional back opinion. To who should be <laughs> Susan, I love in Tomb Raider 2013, when you go into the tombs, and not only is it as classically arbitrary as in, like, the old PlayStation Tomb Raiders, but it's, like, switches and pulleys made out of trash. And you're like, why? Oh, God. Why? <laughs> who? Why? Who, who is, is this? Who's sitting there and being like, well, if I rig it up so that there's a sale over a bunch of oil drums <laughs> and then a rotting piece of wooden ship she'll have to jump on the piece of rotting wooden ship and then hmm uh there is late late in the game uh in in rise of the tomb raider there is a tomb style puzzle that is just flat out part of the campaign rather than an accordant off area and it does oh, have a classic Tomb Raider pull a bunch of switches feel, but it makes total sense. It is perfectly organic and and woven into the environment. It's so so good. And I, I'm But who do you see doing that in a movie? And who do I see doing that in a movie? I, I at this point I would really like to see and she would have to get like muscular because she's she's very you know, uh, very, very 
skinny and sort of wan at this point. But the the woman that plays Fitzsimmons or on uh, not Fitzsimmons, the girl that fits it's, it's just Simmons. It's just Simmons. Simmons. Yeah, Fitzsimmons is the relationship. Gemma Simmons. Gemma Simmons. Yes. Gemma. There we go. I would like her to be yeah. Lara Croft. I think she'd be a great Lara Croft. I like her a lot in that show. Yeah. Sorry, I have trouble remembering names for the personality-less people. <laughs> no, no, I totally... I, I, I'm with you. <laughs> so the problem I'm having is that if we're basing this on the reboot, then It has to Lara be someone is, young. It has to be someone young, because she's only like 21, I think, mm-hmm. in that. Because the perfect Tomb Raider is still Rona Mitra. She was, by the way, the very first Tomb Raider, the very first woman to be Lara Croft in real life. Uh, but... She is definitely not 21. Although, uh, if you would like to see her basically being Lara Croft, go watch Doomsday. It is trash. It is glorious trash. <laughs> you will love it. I mean, it seemed like she was going to be in a lot more movies at a point. Like, it seemed like she was going to be one of those stars that was going to blow up really yeah. soon. Um, yeah. I, I, I keep going. To, I, I want to see. I would like to see Emily Blunt. See, that was going to be my next choice, but she's too old. Yeah, which is a terrible thing to say. But like, I just think she she is clearly she's Tomb Raider. She's not Tomb Raider in training like you would need for the reboot. Correct. Correct. Yeah, she's she's perfect, except she's about ten years. She would just be too cool immediately. You you would not believe that Emily Blunt wouldn't be confident or not know what you know what I mean. But I like I I, I, need a suggestion. Pass. I have no, I have no <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> Nobody. Just like it should be someone in a, mo- in a motion capture green suit. I mean, you'd want somebody be completely computer animated. <laughs> I feel like you'd want somebody relatively unknown because I feel like casting somebody like Angelina Jolie again would be it would be too distracting. Like you'd just be thinking That's the whole true. time, "Well, this is just Angelina Jolie pretending to be Tomb Raider. Like this isn't Laura." Yeah. Yeah. You got uh, a point what there. about the who is uh, the the um. The girl who was in Hannah. Oh, oh, yeah, that's Some an interesting yeah. choice. S- 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 I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce her first name. That don't look at me. I, I don't know. <laughs> Why do you know these things, Max? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was not I, like, as do good we... a movie as I wanted it to be. But it was still pretty good. I, I feel like Lara Croft was pretty good. But it, tell me, tell, tell me if I'm wrong. But the Lara Croft in Rise oh, God, of the Tomb Raider. I can't pronounce that name at all. <laughs> Sorries. Wow. S A O I R S E. Oh yeah. It's Sarah. That's how you pronounce it. Oh wait. Oh wait. Oh wait. Here's here's the. Okay. So it's Sersha. Sersha Ronan. Sersha Ronan. Okay, that helps a lot. I feel like we I've learned something from this podcast now. Sersha. There you go. Sersha. Got it. Is is the there Tomb Raider Lara Croft Rise of the Tomb Raider Lara Croft still the inexperienced Lara Croft? Because she seems like she's already a badass in this game to me. Like she's driven, she I knows think, what she's doing, she she her wealth of anthropological knowledge is vast. Whenever she finds like an artifact, she's like, Oh yeah, I know what this is. Uh, this is a Mongolian uh, arrow quiver. <laughs> And uh, now what you got here is a uh, you got yourself a <laughs> Mongolian uh, air quiver. Yeah, they used to they used to make yeah, these back in the fact. time of the second can. 
you know. I give you, I give you thirty. I give you thirty-four. <laughs> aren't you, aren't you twenty-two years old? Yeah, you never been to College Student Antiques Roadshow. This is how it's done, kid. Get out of here. Well, I mean, that, that thing is consistent because she's like, she gets nerdishly excited when she finds these things, and she was always very sort of uh, book smart. I think, yeah, before. Um, but the, the difference is this time she's choosing to go on this adventure and and, and she's just kind of throwing herself into uh, finding something called the divine source, which uh, I I enjoyed that idea of the plot because I think if you are someone who is making a Tomb Raider game, you're also thinking about immortality as in the immortality of the franchise and the character. Like, how do we keep making these? You know, like I, I enjoy that parallel, even if it's not intentional. Um, but t- tell me about uh, what you think of Rise because you, Anthony, I think, are in the same page as I am, which is wow, 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 wow. Whereas Susan is a little more, I think Susan is a little more critical of some aspects. Of yeah. I, I, I am. For, I, want, I want to stress playing the game is immensely fun. The, the, the game part of the game, which is most of it, is fantastic. Uh, killing bad guys is fun. The climbing, jumping, <laughs> shooting, jumping, climbing trees part is great. Finding all the stuff. The tombs are amazing. It's all beautifully designed. That uh, environment and it's is incredible. Yeah, it's a beautiful game. Absolutely gorgeous. The problem I have with it is that in Tomb Raider, Lara felt like a person to me. Mm-hmm. In Rise, she feels like an avatar. She feels like the thing I control on the screen so that I can go figure out this puzzle and I can shoot these dudes. And that's it, – it's still a fun experience, but I have lost this person that I cared about and who went on this very personal, emotional journey of growth in the last game. Now, obviously, in this, she can't go through another emotional journey of growth because, you know – that would just kind of be not realistic. But I really was wanting there to be, like we saw the trailer uh, at E3 where she was in the psychiatrist's office, where not she was grappling game. with all of the stuff. Was it not E3? No, no, it was not in the game. That, oh, no, that and it wasn't in the game, right. Yeah. So I, I was coming into this one hoping that it would address more that like she had this experience uh, at Yamatai. She comes back to the real world. Nobody believes her. Just like nobody believed her dad, mm. so she would be she would naturally be having these questions of, okay, wait, did that really happen? Am I crazy? Was my dad crazy? Is this? Am, am I just going through everything he went through? Right? Like I would I would really have liked it to address that more. I get why it doesn't. So I I think a lot of that stuff is at least touched on. I feel like there are a couple of conversations throughout the game, and maybe you haven't seen all of them, Susan, but there are a couple where she does, like, she's really pushy about the fact that she saw something in her previous adventure that was supernatural. And that alone is, like, is almost a point of obsession for her. She just wants to prove, like, because her dad was right. She didn't believe him either, right? Right, right, right. And that's a very That aspect of the story, I think, is is maybe a little too subtle, or, or it's just not explored with enough enough depth the, the exactly. missing part to me mainly which i think you'll you'll also agree on is that there isn't enough acknowledgement of what happened before in terms of how it affected her like i think even an right. extra scene like there's a great scene with her and jonah where he's like if you would just stop moving mm-hmm. you would see right. what was in front of you yeah right yeah. And like and and so i get the sense that she's just like throwing herself into this because it helps distract her from thinking about yep. 
the kind of person yeah. that she is on her way to becoming. But yeah. I'm like reading that into the scene. I don't think they do a good job of framing that as well as they think they did. But I do think the intention is there. Yeah. I, for, and, for and I, mean, I get it because you, you go ahead, Anthony. I was going to say Ludwig, I, I feel like precisely what you're saying is what leads to that sort of absence of character that Susan has felt while playing through the first half of the game. And I think another thing that I like ultimately to like rise of the Tomb Raider story works for me because I do have the background of Tomb Raider 13. Like, like mm-hmm. I think all of that stuff is there. I know it. So this story works because I can read into it and, and what they have put on the screen. I think another thing that damages it is Susan and I were actually talking about this yesterday in Tomb Raider 2013. You never leave Lara Croft's perspective. It follows her exclusively. And I feel like Rise of the Tomb Raider wastes precious story time by shifting shifting the perspective to other characters, namely the bad guys, who are the most boring, stupid bad guys in the world. Like they're they're just not interesting. As I think people. one half of them is interesting. The other one right, is right, the opposite of interesting. Right, but that the the interesting one is not the one you get to spend time with. Like you, yeah, yeah, you the, the, other, the other one <laughs> is true. just is it, it's just such a stereotype. Like there's nothing such a stereotype. There's nothing there. It, there's nothing interesting. In it looks the like villains. crappy Daniel Craig. Yeah, and even even if crappy Daniel Craig <laughs> was an interesting character. Like, that's not how you tell this Tomb Raider story. Like, like our perspective needs to be linked to this character who we're inhabiting. This is not mm-hmm. this is not a drama built to accommodate other perspectives. Like, she is our narrative focal point. Yeah. And and, and when she is, it's really good, right? Like I think that yeah, almost yeah. all of the I mean, when the game not, is almost, you lose that. If you compare it to you, mostly you other AAA games that came that out this year, the writing and an avatar dialogue is on a, a whole other level. Never mind the performance are, capture are and like, just the way the game looks. But she has that conversation when she's briefly captured, and she has when she meets a new person, and she says, "You don't know how far I've come," and she just kind of rejects this person trying to help her. That to me was like a great scene because it showed a little bit of character. It was well acted, and. Uh, it kind of set up the relationship that you would follow through the rest of the game with these two characters. Mm. See, I I really liked that scene because in in Tomb Raider in the reboot, were she in that same situation, Lara would just jump to help this person, and she doesn't because she's mm-hmm. like, I don't know you. Yep. Yeah. I, sh- <laughs> I, whatever, dude. I got my own <laughs> problems, and I don't know you. And that is that shows a great deal of growth and that's very very interesting there's just not enough of that for me again want to stress the game is super fun like i really truly am loving playing it and it and it's it's very much more old school tomb raider but if you don't have the background of the reboot if you know nothing about lara croft well, hey, well, before I say anything else, this is a great starting place, honestly. If you've never mm-hmm. played a Tomb Raider game, this is a fantastic place to start. But if you didn't know anything about everything that she was supposed to be going through, you wouldn't know it by playing this game. Yeah. yeah, it's, And that's it's not really, necessarily a bad thing. It, I, I think it's unfortunate 
that it seems that Crystal Dynamics took and like I, I like again, I, I love this game. I think it is easily one of the be- five best games released this year. Uh, but it, I think Crystal Dynamics took some of the criticisms of Tomb Raider 2013 too much to heart. In that they were like, oh, well, people want a, a little bit more emphasis on platforming and puzzle solving over combat. Great. That didn't necessarily mean pull back on the emphasis on story that is in Tomb Raider right. 2013. Because, like, yeah, the way the story was told in Tomb Raider 2013 saved that game for me. Because I hated playing it. Like, I hated those shootouts. They were interminable. And now, like, the combat is so perfectly balanced with all the exploration stuff in Rise. But it's just missing a little bit of of that personal flair that the story had. Were you, were you, I mean, Susan and Anthony, were you shocked by the balance of exploration to combat in this game. Yes. Yes. I was. Pleasantly so. Right? Like, I mean, when, yeah. when a developer like this says, oh, no, we're, we're going to rethink that, you're like, yeah, yeah. Or sure. Like, oh, well, we're going to add some more tombs. And then you're like, mm, sure. sure, your idea of a tomb is not the same as my idea of a tomb. So <laughs> we'll see how that – and it's, it's all true. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, it. I just thought of somebody who could be Lara. Oh, who? And it, Jenna Louise Coleman. Who? Who's that? She, she, she's Clara Oswald on Doctor Who. Oh, I'm, I'm like three or four seasons out on Doctor Who. I have no idea who that is. Yeah. Oh my god. So she's awesome. You people. (laughs) She, well, she, she would actually, uh, she would again, much like uh, Simmons, she would have to, you know, buff up because she's a a slight, a very slight girl. Yeah. But uh, she'd actually. It would kind of be great. You know, there was there was a great Agents of Shield episode in season three that was basically yeah, it's like a survival Raider. scenario f- for Tomb Raider. Yeah, with with Gemma Simmons. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, super awesome, oh. super awesome. Um, do do you guys think that uh, Lara Croft gets more shit for stabbing dudes than other characters do? Definitively. Although I think that like I think that we've all kind of moved on from that, with the exception of what what was it Gamescom or was it E three where they did a stage demo for Rise of the Tomb Raider that was so Gamescom. it was Gamescom where it was so it was Gamescom. ridiculously over the top violent and in a way that like never really comes up in the game unless you do it intentionally like you're like oh i've played through this sequence before i'm gonna that's 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 not true though because here's the thing i like i just i just finished a sequence where i was setting dudes on fire i'm shooting them in the head with arrows because it's a it's a big sequence where you you, you, there's a bunch of guys trying to kill you and some of them are are armored Uh so yeah you absolutely go through sections of mass murder in that game you do you just do yeah like you you have to kill the guys like you can't past these dudes. You have to have this confrontation. Yeah, you but, can do that in the more open sections of the game, but there are yes. sort of dramatic scenes required by the story. Yes. Right. right. But what you, what you did not see in the demo 
uh, and you don't understand until you play the game is the ratio of that to exploration yeah. is like, it's like three to one exploration, basically. Totally. There, you are spending so much of your time you know, hunting down artifacts and solving tombs and just even just getting from one place to the other that the the combat is a relatively small part of the game. So uh, it, and well, I have to say, I, I, I loved some of those like closed room sections where they don't know where Lara is and they start coming in and you really don't have a choice but to fight them in some way. Mm-hmm. And so one of the new things in the game is you can pick up a, objects in the game that are not added to your inventory. You don't keep them. You just you have to look for objects in the environment like bottles or cans. And you can grab a can and have you, if you have the equipment you can quickly craft a grenade or uh, if you knock someone out you can turn their body into a bomb that activates by proximity. You can uh, unlock an ability where you can use someone's radio to create an explosive. And like you're walking around setting up all these little traps for people uh, while you're avoiding them in a stealth uh, with, with sort of her stealth abilities. And it feels like playable diehard, which is awesome. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See, this and is I the thing. Like, like, and that's to me cool. That- like, you, don't, you don't recoil when John McClane kills a bunch of bad guys either. Mm-hmm. No, no. And to me, that does not feel like Lara Croft, but it's still fun. Like, yeah. and, and, like the shooting exotic animals. No, I'm sorry. Lara Croft is not like, yes, snow leopards nearby. I'm going to shoot that cat <laughs> and make myself a shotgun patch. You know, like this is not a thing she would do, but it's fun to do in the game. So I, do I think she gets extra crap for it? I do. Uh, I think it's partly because she's a female character and people are extremely uncomfortable seeing females that aren't villains yep. committing acts of violence. Uh, and, but also because she's supposed to be this nice archaeologist girl. See, I don't think she's supposed to be nice, but I think she's supposed to be human. Yeah. And it's hard to see a human being right. kill. Mm. And, and I, I actually looked at my statistics. By the way, if you, if you see reviews saying that Lara Croft kills thousands of people, that's a tremendous exaggeration. Uh, in my 30-ish hours of the game, I killed 657 wow. uh, enemies. <laughs> and not all, of them, not all of them were normal people. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Susan, by, I, I, I will say that I think some of that is characterization. <laughs> The like the the uncomfortableness with seeing Lara kill a lot of people because she's characterized mm-hmm. in Tomb Raider 2013. She's characterized in a very different way when you're playing as her uh, and when you see her in cutscenes and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was that was a big issue with that game is in the cutscene she's all shaky because she had to kill somebody, and then in the game she's like, "Woohoo! Batwang! Yeah, right. Flaming arrow!" You know. Yeah, so in this game, there's definitely a turn where she's like, she starts inviting combat. Yeah. Um, but she is also really angry at that point. So, um, yeah, by f- sort of focusing so much on Laura's character and her humanity, it sort of invites that criticism, I think, from players uh, because they're they're more focused on that than say in a like when you're playing Gears of War. Marcus and Dom don't usually comment on how they feel about shooting grunts. And in fact, the grunts themselves aren't very distinct. They wear a lot of armor. They have no real distinguishing like facial characteristics or emotions that you can discern. And actually, after you shoot them, you get these little ragdoll bodies that are left on the ground. You can run up and kick them around and they'll, <laughs> they'll like flopper. <laughs> like it's it's funny and gamey. Like you don't 
care that you're killing like millions of these faceless grunt things because they're just enemies to get rid of. Whereas in Tomb Raider, obviously, you're killing humans. So there's a, a bit more of an emphatic connection there between the audience and what they're doing and compound that with, you know, trying to explore Laura's psyche a bit more. Um, it's sort of, yeah, it invites that, that, that criticism. Right. I think the problem is, is like that person would not exist. The person who is, right. who has their personality traits, who we like, who is relatively well drawn, mm-hmm. but also kills 650. Right. There, a, logic, <laughs> right. a logical disconnect gets set up. But like, here's the thing, like, and, and I just, uh, hopefully by the time you listen to the show, I'll, I'll have actually published this thing that I wrote about it, which is I... I don't know how to solve this problem, and I feel we keep playing these games expecting someone to fix it. Mm -hmm. But to me, the story of the game, when I think of the plot, when I think of what what really happened, I don't think that she literally killed 650 people. Yeah. Because no story makes sense when that happens. No. Not even one of the most... I mean, maybe if you look at something like Commando... Uh, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, he maybe kills like 650 <laughs> people, but that's also a completely unbelievable movie. But like, no, that's that can't be part of the story because it yeah. doesn't make sense. Like, why so many? How could that possibly happen? It's really just like these are objects in the game that need to serve the fact that it is a game. It is a different kind of story, right. and maybe we ha- we will always have stories in games that will not be smooth in our minds in the sense that we don't have the parts that agree. Like, yeah, she kills all these people, but that's... Well, the only verbs you have access to in Tomb Raider are shoot, kill, hit, you know, Mm -hmm. destroy. Like, that's just, that's the terminology we have when we're sitting down to make games of this size and scope. Like, what do you do? You blow stuff up. That's... And and I... Here's something... I would love a Tomb Raider that was nothing but exploration and environmental manipulation. It wouldn't sell. And the only no. and the only thing that you fight is animals. Like I I would love that. Like but if you here, were never in a gunfight. So you know how when when you're in a dream, like suddenly you're driving your car, you don't go find your car keys, walk to the car, unlock the door, get in. Like you don't do all those intermediate steps. Right. You just remember driving the car, right? So you killed 652 people in that game, Ludwig, but I bet it only feels like you killed maybe 30 or 40. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you Precisely. have to, if you were, if you were trying to, to depict this semi realistically, Lara would kill like ten dudes, mm-hmm. right? Maybe, maybe and it, and, twenty. And it's and it's all about and that's staging not a fun that game. It's all about yeah, staging, like, and like, and like, I think the feeling is more important than the reality. Like the fact that you can complete Rise right. of the Tomb Raider and have that feeling, like, oh, I, I think I only fought like twenty people, as opposed to yeah. Tomb Raider twenty thirteen, where every ten minutes you were literally fighting twenty people. You know that right. that that became exhausting, and that wasn't interesting. It's like the difference between like Naughty Dog came up with like the most brilliant answer to how to stage these sorts of things with The Last of Us after Uncharted. Like, The Last of Us does put you in a situation where, like, Joel and Ellie kill probably about 650, 700 people when all is said and done, but every fight feels like you're only fighting, like, five human beings total. And and the other thing is, the, the I think the difficulty level in Rise of the Tomb Raider makes a big difference. If you play mm-hmm. on survival, it is... 
if you fail, you die. It is really easy to die. It feels like the numbers, uh, the odds stacked against you are very intimidating in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And that changes the tone of the fighting as well. Like, it doesn't feel like Lara Croft is the predator who is, like, offing dudes who are just standing around. Right. It feels like if she didn't do it this way, she wouldn't survive. Like, so when she says, I kill those guys to survive, you believe her Mm, because you played it out and you really did have to. Yeah. I I played on... I don't know if you guys are fans of The Walking Dead or not, but you know uh, how on the show, the, the one thing they ask... There's three questions that they ask anybody who wants to join their group. How many walkers have you killed? How many humans have you killed? And why? Yeah. And the when you what The Walking Dead does is it makes you feel like they're constantly it, it creates the same illusion. You can't actually have hundreds and hundreds of walkers on screen because that's expensive and time consuming. That makeup takes like four hours. So mm-hmm. they make you feel surrounded with like four, mm-hmm. and it's and the the answers to those questions are like I've killed you know four or I or I don't know a lot or whatever, and it's probably only a dozen or so. It's not that much. So it's that the the game has to create that same feeling, but kind of in reverse, if that makes sense. Yeah, and like you know, I didn't play on survival. I played on Tomb Raider, which is like the normal difficulty, which is actually very forgiving. But, you know, the way I like to play, that worked out. Like, I don't want to focus on combat. And so I got to focus on like sort of a specialty with combat, which is most of the time when I was fighting humans, I would exclusively use my bow and arrow and almost headshots, bow and arrow, see headshots, but also only using the poison arrows. And, like, my, my yeah. approach was I want this to be about Lara taking the path of least resistance, which is I'm going to go in here. I know how to make a resource in this environment. I'm going to knock mm-hmm. these sons of bitches out. And if you can focus on building up that the, the poison arrows to so the cloud gets huge if you pour your experience points into that really early on, which I really wish you didn't have to do in any way, shape, or form. I wish it was just, oh, I found different materials and now the cloud is bigger because who earns experience points? Like, who's like, I climbed up a mountain. Now a number got bigger. That's the only part of this game I don't like. Yeah, because it's not like you go through life and do things and get better at it, Anthony. I don't want to see a number. Why does there have to be the number? The number feels arbitrary. If I just have the experience and then something is physically different in the game, that's more interesting. It's it's to do with transparency or clarity, like the game communicating that that, that you are getting that the character is getting better. The number provides a tangible feedback for the um, player. Exactly. If we want to talk about dissonance, I will say the biggest problem in the game, is, which is something that you cannot turn off, is the XP exclamations, like the headshot thing. Exactly. Like when it yells out headshot, that to me reads like Lara Croft is enjoying it, which I don't think is quite the emotion they want to convey it. Well, points. see, that's, that's a... Because that's like a weird... That's that a hard the crossroads because Laura isn't supposed to enjoy it. You yeah. are supposed mm-hmm. to enjoy it. So when you get those little... Like, if you were playing any other game, if you were playing Team Fortress 2 and you get the little... You start headshotting somebody and it goes, bing, 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 like that 
feels good in a physical I'm playing a game sense, mm-hmm. but it creates disconnect with the with. So basically, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider just needs to be really unfun. <laughs> it needs to not be fun. It doesn't need to give you any kind of feedback. You need to be miserable while you're playing it, and it'll be true to the character. But like, I, this I is, see. This no, 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 no. Wait it's a second. Like, the feedback. The, the feedback doesn't have to be textual. Like I don't. I don't understand right. why you need to have a numerical representation for the feedback to be satisfying. Landing the hit should be what's satisfying. Like Okay, but here's the other thing. Resorting to violence and headshots and stuff, if that should be the most fun because it should be the most tempting thing right. in the game. Because like if the point is well, Lara Croft is being tempted by just taking the easiest way, which is just launching an arrow into a puddle of fuel and burning everyone alive. Um, that's how it should be, I think. Yeah. Like, it sh- you should resist the temptation to be the most violent person ever because that makes it more interesting. It makes it an interesting choice, right? Yeah. And, uh, Anthony, to your point, uh, landing the headshot should be the most interesting thing if the combat is providing a sufficient level of challenge for you. Right. Um, so if it's a, if it's an especially difficult encounter and you land the headshot, yes, that feels good. But if you're playing, as most people will be, on a pretty middle-of-the-road difficulty setting that's good for a wide audience, then actually killing enemies maybe not is not all that interesting because you're mowing through 600 enemies throughout the course of the campaign. So any one individual kill doesn't feel that satisfying. So you need to reinforce that using noises and little icons and little numbers to give the player the illusion that like oh this is and i i think this I is think that's, really exciting i think that's dumb i think that's a lazy like i i th- well i mean it's it is dumb but at the same time like if the game if this was dark souls you know a dark souls caliber difficult game then like it wouldn't be released at the size and scope that that it is. Right, see, I, it would be a more niche game. I don't know, man. They, they've sold over 40 million Super Mario Brothers games at this point, and you know, the most satisfying thing when Mario jumps on the Goomba is watching the Goomba go squish. It's not watching mm-hmm. 100 points added to the ticker at the top of the screen. Like, you can okay, make but, even but, the most but, simple but physical action right in the game. The most satisfying thing for you. Right. There are there are yeah. players who respond extremely strongly to points. Yeah. And so the squishing of the Goomba to them is kind of irrelevant. It's that hundred points going on the score that really makes them feel satisfied. That achievement. That achievement unlocking. It, yeah. it just, it, see, and <laughs> to go back to specifically Rise of the Tomb Raider, though, that feels mm. like having that sort of numerical feedback feels completely antithetical to everything else that's happening in the game. If it's about, uh, like, admiring... It's very naturalistic. Yeah, it's very naturalistic. If it's about experiencing a character and marveling in this physical world that's been built, then seeing a, a little number or the word stealthy pop up on the side of the screen just is... Stealthy. Yeah, like, what does that have to do with everything else that's happening I don't even understand. There? When does the stealthy pop up? I see it come up randomly. It's when like, you've I, killed, like if you've killed a guy and you haven't been spotted, and then uh, when you when you gone around yeah, a when, bunch of them, if you clear, you oh, have to clear an encounter oh. because there is like a boundary on the encounters, and it's marked by music, a purely physical piece of the environment. No sign comes up that's like now you're in an encounter. Like all of these physical cues take place when all of a sudden. So the procedural music in this game is incredible. It, just it is so, it's so really good. good, so it's good, really good. If there are enemies nearby, 
you get all of this physical feedback. Lara's entire stance changes. She starts to crouch down. The music changes. And, like, these things are there to indicate that now there is a threat nearby or you are actively engaged in combat. It, and when you clear it, there will be a noise and then the music will change back. And that's when you'll get, like, some rating for how you did that. And it'll say stealthy or you'll just see an experience pop up. If you didn't go the stealth I, I absolutely understand what you're saying. I totally and, – and the issues that you have are valid. But what you need to accept is that people enjoy and experience different aspects of different games. For you, that pulls you out of it, and I totally get that. Other people want that feedback, want that validation, want that reward. So what, what would be best is the ability to turn it off. Right, and my issue, my yeah. issue is not. I don't want to take away anybody's like enjoyment of numerical based game success. I love seeing mm-hmm. my level get bigger in The Witcher. My point is, I need consistency, and the fact that Tomb Raider vacillates between creating just a coherent physical world and then just like the whole leveling system is just it, it, like it's not as developed as everything else that is in there. Like it's also pretty boring. It's also really boring. So like my my issue is not that people might enjoy these sorts of things. My issue is that it's not nearly as developed as everything else in the game and doesn't feel of a piece with the rest of the game. Like it's it's, very tell and not show. Yes. And, but, and like the, the game is 90% show and 10% Mm. tell. So why have the 10% at all? If you're not going to make it 50, 50, I mean, I think I think Susan's solution is the best, just having it as an optional yeah. thing. Because you can even you can turn off the survival viewer, yeah. which is you press a button and it highlights all oh, the important really? objects in the world. Mm-hmm. You can turn that option off. But like, oh. have you tried not clicking yeah. the button? Well, yeah, that's just don't click that, it. Right? It's like okay, so that's for like people who just they they can't resist the impulse to just do it anyway, and it doesn't and they don't like it. But like, just turn off the XP notifications. That seems like pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that. super easy. And then, I, mean, I actually think the game has a lot of similarities to Alan Wake, which had the same problem. Like you couldn't just turn off some of the stuff, which kind of just made it seem less naturalistic. Yeah, I, like it's so it's just so weird to me that you get to a campfire and you have one menu that's like, all right, I've collected this much wood. I've collected this many screws. I have these animal skins. Now I have these physical objects, which I can use to augment my my tools, which will let me do more things. And those are that's two full menus of physical items affecting physical objects in the game. And then there's one other menu that's just like, huh, I walked a lot today. Do I now want to be able to climb faster? Or do I now want to be invincible for 30 seconds after a guy punches me? Like, it's just weird. Like, why, why have two-thirds of your leveling system be based around physical activity and then one-third be based around arbitrary numbers? It's just weird, is all. Yep, it is weird. Um, I guess that's it. That's the end of the show. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> um, the show will continue for another three hours. We are so bad at ending shows. I mean, terrible we're like, I know, but like, I mean, I feel like we just had a nice discussion on Tomb Raider. I think oh, if, I, I recommend everyone if you have an Xbox One to play it. Uh, it's coming out on PC in the first quarter of 2016. If Can't you, wait. If you want to do that, um, it's also coming to PS4 at the end of next year, which is oh, it's too far away. Um, that is really far. I would not recommend buying an Xbox just for this game, but if you have an Xbox, you should have this game. 
Mm. I think if you are interested in Rise of the Tomb Raider and you're interested in uh, some Xbox 360 games and you're interested in Ooh, stuff like Rare Replay and mm-hmm. Halo 5, the Xbox One, I think, is a pretty solid recommendation at this point. Is oh, Tomb Raider, I mean, the, is, the backwards compatibility alone makes it solid. Is Underworld on the backwards compatible list? No, but I think... I, I would expect that one to show up because it's not like one of the technologically strange ones. Right. Um, it's it's really up to like so. The funny thing about the backwards compatibility, beyond the fact of just getting it to work, is uh, if there's licensed music in oh. the Xbox 360 game, it has to be renegotiated, right. which is awkward because right. um, it's a different platform technically. Um, and also, publishers of third-party games must agree to it. Um, so if any mm. if someone is holding up Tomb Raider, uh, it would be Square Enix. I don't know that they are. They may already be in talks with it, but that seems like one that that would come through because Underworld is a great game, and I think there's a lot of shades of Underworld if you liked it in Rise of the Tomb Raider. Shade. 